Part Two, Chapter Eight of the Daisy Chain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Daisy Chain by Charlotte Mary Young, Part Two, Chapter Eight. The rest all accepted the kind invitation, and much bustle it caused in the plumed creation. Such ruffling of feathers, such pruning of coats, such chirping, such whistling, such clearing of throats, such polishing bills, and such oiling of pinions, had never been known in the biped dominions. Peacock at home. Ethelred was thankful for that confidence to Meta Rivers, for without it she would hardly have succeeded in spurring Norman up to give the finishing touches to Decius, and to send him in. If she talked of the poem as the devotion of Decius, he was willing enough, and worked with spirit, for he liked the ideas, and enjoyed the expressing them, and trying to bring his lines to his notion of perfection. But if she called it the nudigate, or the prize poem, and declared herself sure it would be successful, he yawned, slackened, leaned back in his chair, and began to read other people's poetry which Ethel was disrespectful enough not to think nearly as good as his own. It was completed at last, and Ethel stitched it up with a narrow red and white ribbon, the balial colours, and set Meta at him till a promise was extorted that he would send it in. And in due time Ethel received the following note. My dear Ethel, my peacock bubble has flown over the house. Tell them all about it. Your affectionate N. W. M. They were too much accustomed to Norman's successes to be extraordinarily excited. Ethel would have been much mortified if the prize had been awarded to anyone else, but, as it was, it came rather as a matter of course. The doctor was greatly pleased, and said he should drive round by Abbotstook to tell the news there, and then laughed beyond measure to hear that Meta had been in the plot, saying he should accuse the little hummingbird of being a magpie, stealing secrets. By this time the bride and bridegroom were writing that they thought of soon returning. They had spent the early spring at Paris, had wandered about in the south of France, and now were at Paris again. Flora's letters were long, descriptive, and affectionate, and she was eager to be kept fully informed of everything at home. As soon as she heard of Norman's success, she wrote a whole budget of letters, declaring that she and George would hear of no refusal, they were going to spend a fortnight at Oxford for the commemoration, and must have Meta and Ethel with them to hear Norman's poem in the theatre. Dr. May, who already had expressed a hankering to run up for the day, and take Ethel with him, was perfectly delighted at the proposal, and so was Mr. Rivers, but the young ladies made many demurs. Ethel wanted Mary to go in her stead, and had to be told that this would not be by any means the same to the other parties. She could not bear to leave Margaret. It was a long time since there had been letters from the Alcestis, and she did not like to miss being at home when they should come. And Meta, on her side, was so unwilling to leave her father that, at last, Dr. May scolded them both for a pair of conceited, self-important damsels, who thought nothing could go on without them, and next compared them to young birds, obliged to be shoved by force into flying." Meta consented first, on condition that Ethel would, and Ethel found that her whole house would be greatly disappointed if she refused, so she proceeded to be grateful, and then discovered how extremely delightful the plan was. 
Oxford of which she had heard so much, and which she had always wished to see, and Norman's glory, and Meta's company, nay, the very holiday and going from home were charms enough for a girl of eighteen who had never been beyond Whitford in her life. Besides, to crown all, Papa promised that, if his patients would behave well and not want him too much, he would come up for the one great day. Mr. and Mrs. George Rivers came to Abbotstoke to collect their party. They arrived by a railroad, whose station was nearer to Abbotstoke than to Stoneboro. Therefore, instead of their visiting the high street by the way, Dr. May, with Ethel and Mary, were invited to dine at the Grange the first evening, a proposal at least as new and exciting to Mary as was the journey to Oxford to her sister. The two girls went early, as the travellers had intended to arrive before luncheon, and though Ethel said few words, but let Mary rattle on with a stream of conjectures and questions, her heart was full of longings for her sister, as well as of strange doubts and fears as to the change that her new life might have made in her. "'There! there!' cried Mary. "'Yes, it is Flora! Only she has her hair done in a funny way!' Flora and Meta were both standing on the steps before the conservatory, and Mary made but one bound before she was hugging Flora. Ethel kissed her without so much violence, and then saw that Flora was looking very well and bright, more decidedly pretty and elegant than ever, and with certainly no diminution of affection. It was warmer, though rather more patronizing. "'How natural you look!' was her first exclamation, as she held Mary's hand and drew Ethel's arm into hers. "'And how is Margaret?' "'Pretty well, but the heat makes her languid. "'Is there any letter yet?' "'No.' "'I do not see any cause for alarm. "'Letters are so often detained, but, of course, she will be anxious. "'Has she had pain in the back again?' "'Sometimes, but summer always does her good. "'I shall see her to-morrow, and the daisy. "'How do you all get on? "'Have you broken down yet, Ethel?' "'Oh, we do go on,' said Ethel, smiling. The worst thing I have done was expecting James to dress the salads with lamp oil. A Greenland salad! But don't talk of oil. I have the taste still in my mouth after the Pyrenean cookery. Oh, Ethel, you would have been wild with delight in those places. Snowy mountains! Are they not like a fairy dream to you now? You must have felt at home as a Scotchwoman's daughter. Think of the peaks and the sunrise. Oh, I wanted you in the pass of Roncesvalles to hear the echo of Roland's horn. And we saw the cleft made by Roland's sword in the rocks. Oh, how delightful! And Spain, too. I, the Isle of Pheasants, where all the conferences took place. Where Louis the Fourteenth met his bride, and Francois First sealed his treason with his empty flourish. Well, don't let us fight about Francois First now. I want to know how Tom likes Eton. He gets on famously. I am so glad he is in the same house with Hector. Mr. Ramsden, how is he? No better. He has not done any duty for weeks. Tomkins and his set want to sell the next presentation, but Papa hopes to stave that off, for there is a better set than usual in the town council this year. Coxmore? And how are our friends the muses? I found a note from the secretary telling me that I am elected again. How have they behaved?' "'Pretty well,' said Ethel. "'Mrs. Ledwich has been away, so we've had few meetings, "'and have been pretty quiet, except for an uproar "'about the mistress beating that Franklin's girl. 
"'And what do you think I did, Flora? "'I made bold to say the woman should show her to Papa "'to see if she had done her any harm, "'and he found that it was all a fabrication from one end to the other, "'so it ended in the poor girl being expelled, "'and Mary and I have her twice a week to see if there is any grace in her.' "'To reward her,' said Flora. "'That is always your way.' "'Why, one cannot give the poor thing quite up,' said Ethel. "'You will manage the ladies at last,' cried Flora. "'Not while Mrs. Ledwich is there. "'I'll cope with her. "'But come, I want you in my room.' "'May not I come?' said Meta. "'I must see when—' "'Flora held up her hand, "'and while signing invitation gave an arch look to Meta to be silent. "'Ethel here bethought herself of inquiring about Mr. Rivers, "'and then for George.' Mr. Rivers was pretty well, George quite well, and somewhere in the garden, and Meta said that he had such a beard that they would hardly know him, while Flora added that he was delighted with the Oxford scheme. Flora's rooms had been, already, often shown to her sisters, when Mr. Rivers had been newly furnishing them, with every luxury and ornament that taste could devise. Her dressing-room, with the large bay window, commanding a beautiful view of Stoneborough, and filled— but not crowded with every sort of choice article, was a perfect exhibition to eyes unaccustomed to such varieties. Mary could have still been amused by the hour in studying the devices and ornaments on the shelves and chiffoniers, and Blanche had romanced about it to the little ones till they were erecting it into a mythical palace. And Flora, in her simple, well-chosen dress, looked and moved as if she had been born and bred in the like. There were signs of unpacking about the room, Flora's dressing-case on the table, and some dresses lying on the sofa and ottoman. Mary ran up to them eagerly and exclaimed at the beautiful shot blue and white silk. "'Paris fashions?' said Ethel, carelessly. "'Yes, but I don't parade my own dresses here,' said Flora. "'Whose are they, then? Your commissions, Meta?' "'No!' and Meta laughed heartily. "'Your French maids, then,' said Ethel. "'I dare say she dresses quite as well, "'and the things are really too pretty and simple "'for an English maid's taste.' "'I am glad you like them,' said Flora maliciously. "'Now please to be good.' "'Who are they for, then?' said Ethel, "'beginning to be frightened. "'For a young lady whose brother has got the Newdigate prize "'and who is going to Oxford.' "'Me? Those? But I have not got four backs.' as Ethel saw Meta in fits of laughing and Flora making affirmative signs. Mary gave a ponderous spring of ecstasy. "'Come,' said Flora, "'you may as well be quiet. Whatever you may like, I am not going to have the Newdigate prizeman shown as brother to a scarecrow. I knew what you would come to without me to take care of you. Look at yourself in the glass.' "'I'm sure I see no harm in myself,' said Ethel, turning towards the pier-glass and surveying herself, in a white muslin made high, a black silk mantle, and a brown hat. She had felt very respectable when she set out, but she could not avoid a lurking conviction that, beside Flora and Meta, it had a scanty schoolgirl effect. "'And,' she continued quaintly, "'besides, I have really got a new gown on purpose, a good useful silk,' "'That Papa chose at Whitford, just the colour of a copper tea-kettle where it turns purple.' "'Ethel, you will kill me,' said Meta, sinking back on the sofa. "'And, I suppose,' continued Flora, 
that you have sent it to Miss Broad's without any directions, and she will trim it with flame-coloured gimp and glass buttons. And unless Margaret catches you, you will find yourself ready to set the Thames on fire. No, my dear tea-kettle, I take you to Oxford on my own terms, and you had better submit without a fuss, and be thankful it is no worse. George wanted me to buy you a white brocade with a perfect flower-garden on it that you could have examined with a microscope.' I was obliged to let him buy that lace mantle to make it up to him. Now then, Meta, the scene opens and discovers. Meta opened the folding doors into Flora's bedroom, and thence came forward Belair's and a little brisk Frenchwoman whom Flora had acquired at Paris. The former, who was quite used to adorning Miss Ethel against her will, looked as amused as her mistresses, and before Ethel knew what was going on, her muslin was stripped off her back, and that instrument of torture, a half-made body, was being tried upon her. She made one of her most wonderful grimaces of despair, and stood still. The dresses were not so bad after all. They were more tasteful than costly, and neither in material nor ornament were otherwise than suitable to the occasion and the wearer. It was very kind and thoughtful of Flora, that she could not but feel. Nothing had been forgotten." But when Ethel saw the mantles, the ribbons, the collars, the bonnet, all glistening with the French air of freshness and grace, she began to feel doubts and hesitations whether she ought to let her sister go to such an expense on her account, and privately resolved that the accepting thanks should not be spoken till she should have consulted her father. In the meantime, she could only endure be laughed at by her elders, and entertained by Mary's extreme pleasure in her array. Good Mary! It was more than any comedy to her. She had not one moment's thought of herself, till, when Flora dived into her box and produced a pair of bracelets, and fastened them on her comfortable plump arms, her eyes grew wide with wonder, and she felt at least two stages nearer womanhood. Flora had omitted no one, there was a Paris present for every servant at home, and a needle-case even for Cherry Elwood, for which Ethel thanked her with a fervency wanting in her own case. She accomplished consulting her father on her scruples, and he set her mind at rest. He knew that the outlay was a mere trifle to the Riverses, and was greatly pleased and touched with the affection that Flora showed. So he only smiled at Ethel's doubts, and dwelt with heartfelt delight on the beautiful print that she had brought him— from Ari Schaefer's picture of the great consoler. Flora was in her glory. To be able to bestow benefits on those whom she loved had always been a favorite vision, and she had the full pleasure of feeling how much enjoyment she was causing. They had a very pleasant evening. She gave interesting accounts of their tour, and by appeals to her husband made him talk also. He was much more animated and agreeable than Ethel had ever seen him, and was actually laughing, and making Mary laugh heartily with his stories of the inns and the Pyrenees. Old Mr. Rivers looked as proud and happy as possible, and was quite young and gay, having evidently forgotten all his maladies in paying elaborate attention to his daughter-in-law. Ethel told Margaret that night that she was quite satisfied about Flora. She was glad to own that she had done her injustice, and that Norman was right in saying there was more in George Rivers than met the eye. The morning spent at home was equally charming. Flora came back with love strengthened by absence. She was devoted to Margaret, caressing to all. She sat in her old places, she fulfilled her former offices, 
She gratified Miss Bracy by visiting her in the schoolroom and talking of French books, and won golden opinions by taking Gertrude in her hand and walking to Minster Street to call on Mrs. Hoxton, as in old times, and take her the newest foreign device of working to kill time. So a few days passed merrily away, and the great journey commenced. Ethel met the Abbotstook party at the station, and with a parting injunction to her father that he was to give all his patients a sleeping potion that they might not miss him, she was carried away from Stoneborough. Meta was in her gayest mood, Ethel full of glee and wonder, for once beyond Whitford the whole world was new to her. Flora more quiet, but greatly enjoying their delight, and George not saying much, but smiling under his beard, as if well pleased to be so well amused with so little trouble. He took exceeding care of them, and fed them with everything he could make them eat at the Swindon station, asking for impossible things, and wishing them so often to change for something better that, if they had been submissive, they would have had no luncheon at all. And as it was, Flora was obliged to whisk into the carriage with her last sandwich in her hand. "'I am the more sorry,' said he, after grumbling at the allotted ten minutes, "'as we shall dine so late.' "'You desired Norman to bring any friend he liked, did you not, Flora?' "'Yes, and he spoke of bringing our old friend Charles Cheviot and Mr. Ogilvy,' said Flora. "'Mr. Ogilvy,' said Ethel, "'the master of Glenbrocken. "'Oh, I am so glad. I have wanted so much to see him.' "'Ah, he is a great hero of yours,' said Flora. "'Do you know him?' said Meta. "'No, but he is a great friend of Norman's, and a Scottish cousin, Norman Ogilvy.' "'Norman has his name from the Ogilvies. "'Our grandmother, Mrs. Mackenzie, was a daughter of Lord Glenbrocken,' said Flora. "'This man might be called the master of Glenbrocken at home,' said Ethel. "'It is such a pretty title, and there is a beautiful history belonging to them. "'There was a master of Glenbrocken who carried James the Fourth's standard at Flodden, "'and would not yield, and was killed with it wrapped round his body, "'and the lion was dyed with his blood. "'Mama knew some scraps of a ballad about him.' Then they were out with Montrose, and had their castle burned by the Covenanters, and since that they have been Jacobites, and one barely escaped being beheaded at Carlisle. I want to hear the rights of it. Norman is to go, some time or other, to stay at Glenbrocken. Yes, said Flora, coming down to time's present, this young heir seems worthy of his race. They are pattern people, have built a church, and have all their tenantry in excellent order. This is the only son, and very good and clever— he preferred going to Balliol, that he might work. But he is a great sportsman, George, added she. You will get on with him very well, about fishing and grouse shooting, I dare say. Norman met them at the station, and there was great excitement at seeing his long nose under his college cap. He looked rather thin and worn, but brightened at the sight of the party. After the question, whether there had been any letters from Harry, he asked whether his father were coming and Ethel thought he seemed nervous at the idea of this addition to his audience. He saw them to their hotel, and promising them his two guests, departed. Ethel watched collegiate figures passing in the street, and recollected the grey buildings, just glimpsed at in her drive. It was dreamy and confused, and she stood musing, not discovering that it was time to dress, till Flora and her Frenchwoman came in and laid violent hands on her. The effect of their manipulations was very successful. Ethel was made to look well-dressed, and still more, distinguished, 
Her height told well when her lankiness was overcome, and her hair was disposed so as to set off her features to advantage. The glow of amusement and pleasure did still more for her, and Norman, who was in the parlour when the sisters appeared, quite started with surprise and satisfaction at her aspect. "'Well done, Flora,' he said. "'Why, I have been telling Ogilvy that one of my sisters was very plain.' "'Then I hope we have been preparing an agreeable surprise for him,' said Flora. "'Ethel is very much obliged to you. "'By the by,' she said in her universal amity, "'I must ask Harvey Anderson to dinner one of these days.' Norman started, and his face said, "'Don't.' "'Oh, very well. It is as you please. "'I thought it would please Stoneborough, and that Edward was a protégé of yours. "'What has he been doing? Did we not hear he had been distinguishing himself?' Dr. Hoxton was boasting of his two scholars. "'Ask him,' said Norman hurriedly. "'At least,' said he, "'do not let anything from me prevent you.' "'Has he been doing anything wrong?' reiterated Flora. "'Not that I know of,' was the blunt answer. And at the same instant Mr. Ogilvy arrived. He was a pleasant, high-bred-looking gentleman, brown-complexioned and dark-eyed, with a brisk and resolute cast of countenance that, Ethel thought, might have suited the Norman of Glenbrocken who died on the ruddy line of Scotland, and speaking with the very same slight degree of Scottish intonation as she remembered in her mother, making a most home-like sound in her ears. Presently the rest of their own party came down, and soon after Charles Cheviot appeared, looking as quiet and tame as he used to be in the schoolboy days, when Norman would bring him home, and he used to be too shy to speak a word. However, he had learned the use of his tongue by this time, though it was a very soft one, and he stood by Ethel, asking many questions about Stoneborough, while something, apparently very spirited and amusing, was going on between the others. The dinner went off well. There were few enough for the conversation to be general, the young men began to strike out sparks of wit against each other. Flora put in a word or two. Ethel grew so much interested in the discussion that her face lighted up, and she joined in it as if it had been only between her father and brother, keen, clear, and droll. After that she had her full share in the conversation, and enjoyed it so much that, when she left the dinner-table, she fetched her writing-case to sketch the colloquy for Margaret and her father. Flora exclaimed at her for never allowing any one to think of rest. Meta said she should like to do the same, but it was impossible now. She did not know how she should ever settle down to write a letter. Ethel was soon interrupted. The gentleman entered, and Mr. Ogilvy came to the window where she was sitting, and began to tell her how much obliged to her he and his college were, for having insisted on her brother's sending in his poem. "'Thanks are due for our being spared an infliction next week,' he said." "'Have you seen it?' she asked, and she was amused by the quick negative movement of his head. "'I read my friend's poems. But our lungs are prepared. Will you give me my cue? It is of no use to ask him when we are to deafen you. One generally knows the crack passages, something beginning with, "'Oh, woman! But it is well to be in readiness, if you would only forewarn me of the telling hits.' "'If they cannot tell themselves,' said Ethel, smiling, "'I don't think they deserve the name.' Perhaps you think what does tell on the undergraduates, collectively, is not always what ought to tell on them? I don't know. I dare say the same would not be a favourite with them and with me. I should like to know which are your favourites. No doubt you have a copy here, made by yourself. And he looked towards her paper-case. 
There was the copy, and she took it out, peering to see whether Norman were looking. "'Let me see,' he said, as he paused to open the MS. "'He told me the thoughts were more yours than his own.' "'Did he? That was not fair. One thought was an old one, long ago, talked over between us. The rest is all his own.' Here Mr. Ogilvy took the paper, and Ethel saw his countenance show evident tokens of surprise and feeling. "'Yes,' he said presently. "'May goes deep, deeper than most men, though I doubt whether they will applaud this.' "'I should like it better if they did not,' said Ethel. "'It is rather to be felt than shouted at.' "'And I don't know how the world would go on if it were felt. "'Few men would do much without the hope of fame,' said Norman Ogilvy. "'Is it the question what they would do?' said Ethel. "'So you call fame a low motive. "'I see where your brother's philosophy comes from.' "'I do not call it a low motive.' "'Her pause was expressive.' nor allow that the nom omnis morir of Horace has in it something divine? For a heathen, yes. And pray, what would you have the moving spring? Duty. Would not that end in, Mine be a cot beside the rill, said he, with an intonation of absurd sentiment. Well, and suppose an enemy came, would duty prompt not the hay with the joke, or Winklerid on the spears? Nay, why not? "'It is my duty to take care of Lucy.' "'Then Lucy ought to be broken on her own wheel.' "'Not at all. "'It is Lucy's duty to keep her Colin from running into danger.' "'I hope there are not many Lucys who would think so.' "'I agree with you. "'Most would rather have Colin killed than disgraced.' "'To be sure.' "'Then, perceiving a knowing twinkle, "'as if he thought she had made an admission, "'she added, "'But what is disgrace?' "'Some say it is misfortune,' said Mr. Ogilvy. "'Is it not failure in duty?' said Ethel. "'Well, Colin's first duty is to his king and country. "'If he fail in that, he is disgraced in his own eyes before heaven and men. "'If he does it, there is a reward, "'which seems to me a better, more powerful motive for Lucy to set before him than, "'My dear, I hope you will distinguish yourself, when the fact is— "'England has forty thousand men we trust as good as he. "'Victory or Westminster Abbey is a tolerable war-cry,' said Mr. Ogilvy. "'Not so good as England expects every man to do his duty. "'That serves for those who cannot look to Westminster Abbey. "'Ah, you are an Englishwoman.' "'Only by halves. "'I had rather have been the master of Glenbrocken at Flodden than King James or— for she grew rather ashamed of having been impelled to utter the personal allusion, better to have been the Swinton or the Gordon at Homelden than all the rest put together. "'I always thought Swinton a pig-headed old fellow, and I have little doubt that my ancestor was a young ruffian,' coolly answered the master of Glenbrocken. "'Why?' was all that Ethel could say in her indignation. "'It was the normal state of Scottish gentlemen,' he answered. "'If I thought you were in earnest—' "'I should say you did not deserve to be a Scot. "'And so you wish to make me out a false Scot. "'Ogilvy,' called Norman, "'are you fighting Scottish and English battles with Ethel there? "'We want you to tell us which will be the best day for going to Blenheim.' "'The rest of the evening was spent in arranging the programme of their lionizing, "'in which it appeared that the Scottish cousin intended to take his full share. "'Ethel was not sorry, for he interested her much while provoking her.' 
she was obliged to put out her full strength in answering him, and felt, at the same time, that he was not making any effort in using the arguments that puzzled her. She was in earnest while he was at play, and, though there was something teasing in this, and she knew it partook of what her brothers called chaffing, it gave her that sense of power on his side, which is always attractive to women. With the knowledge that, through Norman, she had of his real character, she understood that half, at least, of what he said was jest, and the other half was enough in earnest to make it exciting to argue with him. End of Part 2, Chapter 8 Recording by Hannah Mary